0: It's Rock and Roll! Welcome to the Look It's Rock and Roll podcast. I'm your host Julian Gill. Today I'm joined by Ken. Hello. Lonnie. What's up? And Mark is on his phone due to technical difficulties, so we apologize in advance if his normal microphone is missing from this conversation. We're not missing Mark for this episode. Mark, good to see you.
1: Good to see you guys. It's been a while, but uh, I'm glad to be back. Yeah.
0: All right. So today we are going to be talking about Def Leppard High and Dry or High and Dry uh, since... They didn't spell it out completely. Their 1981 album, their first recorded with producer Robert John Mutt-Lang. My personal favorite album out of the catalog. Now, our good friends over at the Ages of Rock podcast did an episode celebrating the 40th anniversary of On Through the Night um a couple of weeks ago, so I guess we're, happy, we're hopping on the Leopard bandwagon a, a little bit to talk about this one early, because anniversaries don't mean squat to us on this show. We talk <laughs> about the albums that we want to talk about when we want to talk about them. Uh, but one of the interesting things that they raised about On Through the Night, I just wanted to kind of expand on a little bit, since I did write a book on the band, Um was On Through the Night was recorded with producer Tom Allen and as... They came out of the studio completing that. Judas Priest went in and recorded British Steel with them. Two very fantastic albums. Now, they raised the question of why Def Leppard is lumped in as a new wave of British heavy metal band. Because On Through the Night was anything but uh, Iron Maiden or Witch Find or praying mantis or any of the other bands that you would really think about when you're talking about the new wave of british heavy metal but high and dry certainly is the one album where def leopard is heavy metal in my opinion so let's jump straight into this topic um the short and sweet general questions I'm going to throw to each one of you, Mark. Let's start with you. Before you heard a, f- a note of Def Leppard, had you heard of them, and what had you heard about them as a band, and did it color your opinion?
1: Um, I just heard mainly stuff from my sister, as usual, my older sister. Um, and at high at the high school uh, that she went to, it was very popular to have uh, Def Leppard uh, back patches on your jean jacket. A lot of her friends that hung around with her at that time uh, had a lot of uh, Pyromania back patches. That was a big album in our apartment building back in the mid-'80s. So I had learned about them through her, and uh, from what I had heard, that they were this really cool band that had an extremely young drummer in it. That, you know, it might be something I might like and uh I, oops i remember the first thing that i actually saw was uh, the video for rock of ages that was my first actual introduction to the band
0: nice Lonnie. what about you um i'm a little later
2: to to Death leppard than than you guys i'm sure um my introduction to him was my brother um bought hysteria which was you know commercial success and he, you know, seeing them on MTV and, you know, obviously pour some sugar on me and all the all the commercial success that they experienced with with hysteria. Um, he has hysteria on CD and. Naturally, like what him and I this is what him, this is what him and I did is that, well, you know, you find a band you like, well, you know, then when you go back and you, you get the back catalog. So, my, so then the first CD I owned, um, my parents got me Pyromania for Christmas, and I was like, I don't know, 10, 11, something like that, like fifth grade, maybe something around in there. Um, so, you know, both, you know, two very commercially successful albums albums for them. And it wasn't until, you know, a few years later, you know, that we, you know, completed our, our back catalog of Def Leverage. So, um you know and and I bought Adrenalize you know I think I bought Adrenalize like the day it came out and I was you know by that point I was by that by the time Adrenalize came out I was you know pretty into them and you know and and knew their back catalog pretty good and was excited for Adrenalize the day it came out like I remember going to Best Buy um you know and and buying it the day it came out so um so my entry point's a little later than you guys you know kind of like backtracking after my brother got got hysteria on, on CD when we were kids
0: very cool. I think we'll have to do an episode on Adrenalize Down the Road. Oh, I agree. It's yeah. fun. So my introduction was, I had a good friend, Michael, growing up, who you know was way into the Beatles. We'd go to flea markets and stuff like that. But he got into Pyromania and introduced me to them. Um, so it, it wasn't any unique discovery. And then I bought High and Dry when it was reissued in '84, and immediately said, this is more like it, because the sonic difference between the two is uh is substantial so you know mtv back in that era you were still seeing you know the videos on uh on tv for the songs predominantly i remember the ones the remix so um you know that was what it was so from that day you know thank you michael all these years later we shared the beatles back then and uh Def Leppard, too. Ken, this was your pick. So, uh, why don't you tell us why it was your pick and also, you know, answer those questions?
3: Well, it's my pick because I think everyone should have this album. <laughs> uh, first of all, it's a great album. Um, but how I got into them or how I first heard of Def Leopard, was l- hearing this album. Um, there used to be a radio station in the Bay Area um, that had it was like a it could have been a friday night saturday night i don't know kind of show but um they would play full albums of a new you know an artist um and for instance i, I remember i think uh taping <laughs> taping foreigner four for instance off of off of this because they played the full thing through before it was even out it was like just before they would re- release it uh so they, You know, it was a new band, this is a new band, Def Leppard. And I was like, okay, I'll listen to this, you know. And then uh, I heard the first song, and It was like, bam, this is good, you know, this is really good. I thought, so hey, this is this band sounds pretty darn good. And then the next song, so they play a side at a time, they keep going. And it was just like one after another, I was like, wow, another great one. And then the next song, another great one. It's like I I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I was like, oh, God, you know, this is going to keep going on. And then to go to the second side, the break, second side, um, I didn't even record it, you know, at the time because I didn't record everything because I didn't even know this band. Um, But yeah, after hearing that full album, I immediately went out the following, I think it was release day or it was like a Tuesday or something, and I bought bought it and i i know i told my friend i'm like you gotta have to listen to this one this is a good one (laughs) so uh he ended up getting it too i believe but yeah that's how i got into them i hadn't heard them on the radio other than that that was brand new they were brand new just releasing it
0: so is that answer to the question why you picked it because you think it's an album everyone ought to listen
3: to definitely if you if you're into uh harder rock classic kind of rock um and melodic um you know hard rock definitely you should listen to this because uh, it's it's very very you know melodic catchy great riffs you know stuff like that so um if you if again if you like hard rock you should like you'll definitely like this
0: yeah without a doubt it's heavy 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 and it's guitar wars you know and, and mutt, mutt did a great job of capturing it's the best sounding drums on a leopard album it's a great uh, yeah, yeah because there's only two albums that featured real drums and that was the first True. two albums because pyromania did not have You know, legit, you know, Rick Allen. And after that, of course, it wasn't quite the same, even though he did go back to a natural kit for slang. Um, It was still enhanced to a certain degree. But the material is heavier pretty much than anything they've had throughout their career, at least consistently on an album. You have had heavy tracks on Euphoria. Mm -hmm. You have had heavy tracks on even slang uh, for all the heat that it takes. Um, But where does high and dry fit into your personal leopard tracks where do you rank it amongst the you know the catalog of leopard albums that you've purchased i'm still buying leopard albums when they come out so ken let's go back to you on that
3: yeah well this this ranks number one for me uh i know i had bought uh, for instance pyromania after definitely after uh this album was out and and then they came out with pyromania and the uh but the, the albums that follow they kind of got more not as raw i guess and not as heavy a little bit more you know slicker uh, sound that they went for um and i preferred the more grittier crunch <laughs> of guitars and, and and riffs um though it's not too far off from what they did afterwards but it's just a heavier album. It's, it's the go-to for me.
0: Nice. Just uh, just out of curiosity, what would be your number two album
3: to contrast? Uh, Pyromania could okay. be the, my number two. Yeah. After that, it's all downhill. <laughs> oh, oh. Mark. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You know, that's another story, but yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: well, for me, um, this album ranks uh, number two for me. uh it's very very good the guitar playing on it is excellent as a guitar player instantly connected to it uh my number one record is i know you're going to ask it is hysteria um hysteria was always a record that connected with me from the onset it, it is a record i think that was produced really well if you like that kind of production work uh every song on that album is is a is a bona fide hit i mean side a i think every song was released as a single so um it's a it's a great record uh the thing that i didn't like as much about high and dry compared to hysteria was that it to me it reminded me a lot of acdc it sounded a really acdc-ish in how they played even the songwriting scene very you know down that alley and there's nothing wrong with acdc i love acdc too but i thought that hysteria sounded like a bonafide Def Leppard record. like they, I, they came into their sound, I think, at that record. Whereas I think they were still searching for it in High and Dry. But High and Dry uh, does have some killer, killer songs. I mean, the first three songs on this record are like some of the best material that they've put on record for sure. I mean, I saw a fantastic video. I'm sure you guys must have seen it a thousand times on YouTube when they played in Sheffield for the Adrenalize tour and they played Another Hidden Run on that in that show and i thought that wow that's you know even with the more modernized equipment and sound that they had another hit and run came across as a, a really awesome live song and i think that's one of the advantages this album has maybe over hysteria is that it's easier to replicate these songs and make them sound good live as as opposed to hysteria which requires a lot of you know production work you need a good sound man a guy who knows how to recreate those sounds for them live you know it's a lot of work whereas this they can just bring a bunch of marshals on stage and they'd be fine right so i i, I think that it's uh you know it's high on my chart obviously uh, i still put it ahead of pyromania but you know it's still not it's not it's my number two
0: yeah it doesn't require sequencing sampling computers and stuff to perform live which is a key for it uh, it's my number one always has been it's one of those albums that i will put on my guitar turn it up and just play along to every single song, other than bringing on the heartbreak, which I refuse to play. Um, just the the guitar is fun to play on this album. It, there's only two albums that I do this with, and it's this and British Steel. I will play yep. back to front on just playing along, you know, rhythm mostly. I can do some of the lead work off this album uh, on Switch uh, 65, and it is just my place of joy um, to be one with my guitar and an album and one that I can actually do a half well, half-assed job on guitar-wise not being uh, that adequate. So my number two is Hysteria because it's just special to me. It's The, the craft on it is just sublime. Uh, Pyromania is good, but Hysteria is just blows it out of the water in every every way. And I only try and play, uh, what is it, run riot off that one. I did try Gods of War once and forget about it. I'm, I'm just not good enough. Uh, Lonnie, what about you?
2: Um, it ranks number two for me as well. Um, I'm with Mark that it's behind hysteria as my number one just because mainly because that was my entry point into the band. And for a lot of people, you know, your entry point into a certain band just sticks with you and that then that is your favorite album. I mean I mean Ken, I mean for KISS it's rock and roll over. I mean, you know, it's your entry point into the band is still your favorite KISS album to this day. So I I mean I think that holds true with a lot of people and a lot of the bands that, um, there there may be better albums than your entry point into them, but it's that that time stamp of of how you entered the band and, and why you got into the band is because of this album. Um, makes it your makes a lot of the time almost all the time makes it your favorite. Um, but when I you know going back and buying the back catalog, and getting high and dry, I was really surprised by how much heavier it was, um, how much heavier Def Leppard was before Pyromania. And before Hysteria, um, I was pleasantly surprised, you know, I was like, oh, wow, I was, you know, really looking for something in, in the vein of those two records. Um, and then when you put it on and you and you hear the guitars and you hear the drums, you're like, oh, wow, this is, you know, not this is really good. This is better than I expected it to be, because, you know, I didn't I didn't know much about about this album and I didn't know about, much about On Through the Night. But. Getting this, I was I was pleasantly, you know, really pleasantly surprised. So. Um, it's, so it's number two for me, just for those reasons.
0: Yeah, a couple of the other questions that I was going to ask about your entry points into Def Leppard and your initial impressions of the album, I guess we've kind of answered already in talking about it. So let's jump straight into overall things that you like and or dislike about high-end drive. Mark, let's start with you on that one.
1: Okay. I've got things so, so I sound half-decent. Um, okay, so um, what I like, uh, I love the guitar sounds. The guitar sounds on this album are very good. You can tell that Mr. Mutt Lang had been working with bands like ACDC before this uh, because it, it very much shows in the sort of tone that they had for this record. Uh, I think Joe Elliott's vocals are marketably better on this record than it was on Through the Night. Obviously, I think that there was some kind of story going around that he had gotten vocal lessons that were sort of you know brought to him by, I think Mutt actually recommended a vocalist. A teacher for him uh and so his singing is just way better on this record than it was on on through the night um also i think that uh as much as we kind of love to knock rick allen uh in years to come i think that his drumming on this is really good and f- like ferocious drumming i mean you can tell that he's he's a young guy on this uh and he's on fire i mean you know, in the studio, he probably could do a thousand takes and still have all the energy left to go do a thousand more, probably by the sounds of it. Uh, and uh, I think that on this record especially, uh, I think Rick Allen is a, is one of the black sheep underrated performers on this record. I think that without him on this record playing the way he did, it wouldn't have had as much balls to it, I think, than it does. You know, because the guitar and drums... On this record are one you know what i mean when they're synced together you know you can't you know you, you, you can't hold those guys back when they're linked up i mean rick savage is a good bass player but he's never been one of the guys that's been featured on a duff leopard record vocally yes he's a good vocalist obviously but i think uh bass has never been an important factor of duff leopard music but you know the guitars and vocals fantastic rick allen underrated hugely on this record um what i don't like um not too nothing too much i i was i'll tell you one thing that some people might find kind of surprising i was never big on the album cover on this album um i always thought that it was kind of a mild ripoff of uh wish you were here because if you look at it you know the whole diving man thing was something that was done before wish you were here and hypnosis are the same people who did that cover that did this one too and the whole thing with you know the, the people you know looking up that's a very pink floyd image of those people looking up in the sky like that uh, so it can't help but think that there's a little bit of a either you know hypnosis were a little unsure what to do and decided to maybe just go into their vaults and say ah, let's just use some of this imagery they won't mind or maybe they wanted something to tribute floyd or something who knows? But That's the only thing that I don't really like about this record. I think the album cover could have been a little bit better, I thought, for this record.
0: Okay, fair enough. Um, And and yeah, looking at that cover, um, why is there a dude diving in? You you would have thought it would be a girl in a red bikini. Yeah. Um, Yeah, okay. Get that that movie out of your head. Ken, likes and dislikes of High and Dry yeah well i i'll
3: start off with uh i do agree about the album cover i did read that it was uh hypnosis had used that or wanted to use that uh imagery on for pink floyd uh and it was a reject basically um and and that they just they thought oh high and dry well there's a guy up and you know Whatever this guy is falling in the water, he's up above the water, whatever. And they decide, oh, if it's closest to that, you know, that could maybe fit that. And they just used it. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think it's a very good uh, album cover for sure. Um, though, Hypnosis had done a lot of good album covers, you know, uh, for other artists, you know, like Mark said, Pink Floyd. And uh, even the album we did earlier uh, for um, The Suite desolation bullet they did that one um so so they, they, they've done a lot of good stuff but this one was a reject that they just <laughs> they just allowed them use i don't want to see a guy in the speedo you know on my on the cover of the album <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't spend hours staring at that album. yeah i don't want to yeah usually you, you like to stare <laughs> at album covers but in that case you know no i i wasn't staring at that i was like what the hell is, is this but anyway as far as the uh, music um i agree with mark also about the the, the guitar sound uh that the whole sound production is, is great um and i think uh the way the guitars work off of each other you know um is a, a big big plus that you lose later on uh down the road on, on future albums uh they just had this chemistry um but ba- you know back when they were doing these earlier albums um the other thing is the yes the drums I think a good good thing and I noticed this when I was listening that I didn't pay much attention to the drums. It's like sometimes a good drummer is like, you know, you don't even know he's there. He's doing a great job, but you don't know, it's nothing like standing out. He's not trying to overdo things in the music and and so on. It's just it's just a great backbone uh, to to the you know, the rhythm of everything. So um, yeah. those i i pretty much agree everything with with mark on that um otherwise it's just the the good you know the the material the material uh that they put on this record is all great so
0: the voice of reason has speaketh spoken (laughs) spoken um no i mean i
2: i'm i was really surprised with the production as well just to echo what you guys were saying um as I said in my in my opening statement about it, that I was I really thought of Death Leper being a a softer band almost from you know from from what I had with Pyromania and with hysteria. Not that those are soft rock records, but they're not, you know, grungy guitar driven, riff driven type of type of records. So yeah. um I was i was very surprised by that. And that and that's what and that's what I like about this album that that it is guitar-driven. It is, the, and, um, and, you know, Phil Elliott, Phil Elliott sounds really, really good. And Joe Elliot. Phil Elliott, what the fuck? I don't Joe Elliott sounds, <laughs> <laughs> my, my credibility's thrown out. Joe Elliott sounds really good on this, this record. Um, his vocals are much different. I mean, he, he just sounds almost like a different singer almost on this record than by the time you get the hysteria. You know, you for for a young kid, it almost made me have to to go and, and double check. Like, well, did did they have a different you know vocalist early on? Because because he does sound very different by the time they get there, and and it's and it's not different in a bad way, just just different. But the guitars and the production on this album is what really struck me, and, and it would just it still strikes me to listen to because it, it, it was not what I was as I said, it was not what I was expecting when I put this album on for the first time, and you know it will we'll get into the remixes later too but i mean but i, I like it start I, I really like it start to finish um and i like how i like how it still surprises me to this day when i put it on because when i think of death leopard i always think one thing and when i put this album on it's something different not completely different but just different than the death leopard that i hear on the radio and the death leopard that um, had commercial success. So it, it always surprises me to this day. And that's one thing I always like about the
0: song. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that you all touched on that I agree with that I like the most about this album is the sound. And that sound comes down to the producer because I think there's equally strong material on the debut. It could be you, Wasted, Rocks Off, um, that if they sounded sonically like these songs they would have been equally as powerful, but instead the production takes away from the power of the music that was already present in this band. Joelle has also laughingly said that, uh, uh, you know, it was lucky that he learned how to sing, Um, (laughs) you know, by the time they made it. Um, Hmm. And, and this was an album where, you know, he's a screamer at this point, the first three albums, he's a screamer. He's not a singer hysteria on, he has learned how to sing. Right now, he's more of a... I always think of uh, the lead singer from Crocus, Mark Storis, yeah. um, as being mm-hmm. kind of a uh, a screamer, or Udo, Durkin Schneider. Um, yes. Th- those, those guys, they could scream, sing. And th- that's what Joe's doing, and I love it. But the thing I love the most about this album is the guitars. And it is the interplay that died with Steve and also mm-hmm. with Pete Lee. that those two were two guitarists that knew exactly where they fit without one you know it became Phil's band guitar wise with everything being relegated that he didn't want to do you just do the rhythm Viv I'm going to bumblebee all everything else. It's all me. You know, there's no, there's no room for another guitarist. Here you had Pete doing what he's good at. You have Steve naturally gravitating to what he's good at, and Mutt making it all sound great. And I, I think the interesting comment made, you know, about the, the lack of bass. Um, it's just not something I can even com- I, I can't think of a, a memorable bass line from this album. What do I not like? I don't have a problem with the cover. Red Speedo and all. I My dislike comes back to when I became a fan of it, and that was going in and buying this album, and it had these poxy freaking remixes on it. Yeah. That is what I don't like about High and Dry. I do not like any version of the album that has those two abominations tacked onto it. Um, and that's it.
2: I forgot to mention I didn't like
0: the cover, but I think...
2: Be kind of without saying as I was you guys
0: <laughs> Yeah, I, I think the, the the cover is the issue. All right, let's get into favorites. Um, and why don't we start with Mark and your three favorites to discuss?
1: Um, well, I, and I think I said it before. Uh, I think the opening three tracks on this album. Are the standout songs. I mean, sure, there are other songs that are fantastic. I mean, You Got Me Running is really good. I've always loved that song. What a great way to start off side two on a record, especially that little dun, 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 little guitar thing that he does underneath the opening riff is really cool. Um, but, you know, Let It Go. What a great opening song, you know. And it's very ACDC-ish, that whole opening riff. Uh, I've, but I've always loved that and the great way to end with that big, you know, drum fill thing at the end. It's it's just a good opener all around. Uh, Another hit and run, I I think, is the surprise song when I first heard it, because I was like, wow, this song is as good, if not better, than the opening track, in my opinion. And it was one of the songs that when I discovered or heard that Rick Allen had gotten into his car accident and lost the arm, I was thinking there was no way they're ever going to play this song again because he has has so much fast hi-hat work on that song. There's no way you can do that in one hand, you know, but obviously they modified it around his new way of drumming. Uh, But I've always loved that. And then, you know, Saturday Night High and Dry, that's another total tip of the hat to ACDC. And and you know what? I'm not surprised about that because, like I said, Mutt just came off of arguably the two biggest ACDC albums ever. Back in black and for those about to rock, you know. So it's it's in his blood at that point, and you know, and to have those kind of tones fresh in his mind, you know, it's it's right there. So for me, the, the whole album I think is good. Side to I mean, the, the some of the songs near the end of the record I'm not as much into. Mirror, mirror is okay, and no, no, no is not too bad either. But I think the I think side A is just stellar, beginning to end. I mean, even Six Switch 2-5 is a pretty cool instrumental from, an instru- from a band that you would never probably expect to hear an instrumental song from, you know? So, But I, I think the first three songs are the real gems, in my opinion.
0: Nice. Good picks. And I don't think there's possible to have a bad pick from this album. Lonnie, what about you? What are your uh, favorite three from
2: the album? Well, I'm going to echo Mark with Let It Go. Um, it's a great opening track for an album. It's great opening track when they when they play play live they still open with it a lot to this day um and, I'll, and i always like when they open with it live because all the the girls wait to hear something off of hysteria kind of standing there looking at each other like what is this i don't is this new <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so let, let it go it's just a great opening song and it just it's a good you know um it's just a good song. It's just a great opening song for anything. It's just, it's a good, you know, gets you fired up a little bit, just listening to it. So I have to echo him with that. Um, and I like, you got me running, um, just, just a fun song. And it's, it's, it's fun for me to listen to because I, you know, I have like, you know, playlists and that. And then when I, when I do run, it's as corny as that sounds, it's a, it's a good song to run to. And, um, I have to go with high and dry Saturday night. Cause it's, it's, it's like a, you know, it's like a, it's almost like a, like a, like an anthem type song to me. So, um, and, and I hear the, and I hear the ACDC tones in it, as, as Mark was saying, but it, to me, it sounds like almost like an anthem type of song for Deaf Leopard, And I, and I, and I enjoy that. And it's, and it's super catchy, which I enjoy too. And a lot of songs on this album are catchy, but, um, those three for me, let it go. High and dry Saturday night. You got me wrong. My three favorite, but like, he said it's it's hard to it's hard to pick three favorite off off an album that when you like every song. So I mean, you ask me tomorrow, my my picks may be totally different.
0: That's how it goes with anything when <laughs> we talk right. music. So uh, Ken, how about you? What are your three?
3: Yeah, it's again like you guys said, it's hard to pick a a few songs. They're all pretty darn good. Um, but uh, I definitely agree with um, let it go um as i mean it's just the perfect kickoff to the album um just a you know great great rocker and it's like that's what you know got me started like i could, couldn't believe what i was hearing i was like this is you know so good um I, I didn't think they were gonna you know be able to do it follow it up with anything else but then they they did you know you have another hit and run it's like okay you know so that's a those two songs definitely are uh two of the songs that are my favorite the third one was hard i almost picked bring on the Heartbreak. but I, you know i've heard it so many times it's like one of those ones that oh, i can't really do that but bring on the heartbreak to me always has to have the switch you know 625 with it mm-hmm. because that's why i heard it i always thought it as um, thought of it as one song because the, as it goes out that bass <laughs> this is the only bass you really hear um stands out is that little bass It goes between the songs it keeps going and it kicks into the uh, instrumental it was like i always thought it was like a, you know it's uh, an ending to bring on heartbreak i thought it meant to be to get you know it's meant to be that way but i guess it maybe i guess it wasn't but it worked out that way so when it was on i heard on the radio sometimes they would play it with that right behind it and sometimes they wouldn't um, yeah. I was like oh why did they drop that it's like why didn't they play that <laughs> it's like 25 so I, I'd be you know oh well you know um but the third song really uh is uh and it was it was a hard choice but uh, lady strange I thought it was a great little different song great riff that runs throughout the song you know that na 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 you know and it's just, it's just a cool cool song um so for now, those are the three songs that uh, are my favorites.
0: Yeah, the first, it's easy to pick, two. The third one's the tough one to pick. Let It Go. Obviously, lead-off track, it'll be up there. If we ever do a ranking of lead-off tracks of albums, it'll be on my list without a doubt. And again, because I love playing it, um, you know, it was a single... Uh, and, and all that. So it, it's really like a guitar explosion of intent and the perfect way to open an album. Um, second up is Switch 625, again, because of mm. m- just my personal pleasure playing it and playing along to it and learning you know, some of those lead parts. Um, it, it just is exquisite, but I totally agree with you, Ken. It's got to go with bringing on the heartbreak. They're symbiotic. I get Absolutely. really, really mad and shake my fist at the radio. <laughs> if they right. play bring on the heartbreak and don't play they I feel you know it's not a happy ending. It's like they go on to something else. you know it's like yeah, come yeah. on, come, you can't leave me hanging like that, you know yeah, yeah. Um, so so that one definitely. I think for the my third pick, I could go with high and dry but I'm gonna go with all through the night I think it, mm-hmm. it it's just a it's a little bit of a change of pace on this album that song mm-hmm. but I always loved how quirky it was to call a song on your album the title track to the previous album which <laughs> didn't have a title track I just I, I like that sort of
3: right
0: you know yeah. weirdness but I, overall it's just a change in pace and a different vibe and it's you know quite mature for them a lot of these songs you know dated from early 1980 before they'd even gone on tour to the states for on through the night they'd already debuted let it go in its original form uh, when the rain falls i think it's on that box that came out uh, you know a, a year ago or so mm-hmm. you know lady strange was played all through that u.s tour um in 1980 and uh what was the third one oh Medicine Man, which didn't go anywhere. Well, really. So th- those are my three picks. Now let's see. Can you do your three least favorite tracks off mm. the album, Mark?
1: Yeah. Um, and again, they're they're not really my least favorite because they're bad songs. It's just you know, in a record full of great stuff, you have to pick something that's your least favorite. Um, number one for me, uh, "Bringing On The Heartbreak." I mean, it's a great song as far as being a ballad, but Really, when I was <clears throat> excuse me, when I was listening to this record when I was younger, it was always a song that I kind of kind of fast forwarded past because I wasn't you know I wasn't really into it as much as the other songs and uh really it was just the last the last two mirror mirror and no 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 are the ones that mm. I I just didn't really have as much of a connection to. I mean I would never skip th- those songs like I'd always listen to side B all the way through and if I ever like fast forward or anything and always just be bringing on the heartbreak because they played that a lot here. I don't know how it was over there for you guys, but over here in Canada, they played that a lot. And and, and they'd especially play the uh, the remix version that had more of the synths with it and the more smoothened out lead sounds, you know, which I'm sure we'll get to in a bit. But they always play, seem to play that one and that kind of, you know, I guess tainted my like of that song. So I'd say bring it on the heartbreak. Uh, mirror mirror and no 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 are my ones i don't like from the record
0: okay can
3: yeah yeah i as you know you can't really pick one pick one <laughs> so i'm just gonna say <laughs> i'm just gonna say the last three songs <laughs> i mean <laughs> no they're all good still they're still good i mean On through the night like you said Julian, it's it's a it's a change it's a good great song but it's it's probably the only song that doesn't maybe really fit with a lot of the other songs on there it's the only one but it's still it's still a great song um and uh what is it uh mirror mirror which is good i you know, it, it's a good song so i'm picking three that it doesn't mean they're no good it means they're good um no no no, no. um the thing about no, no 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 and you probably know this julian that at the end of the vinyl version of the early vinyl prestons. The no, 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 just kept going. Well, on mine, and I was playing mine, it, it goes no, no, no for 48 times. 48 times he says no, no, no. It just, it's like a run out. It just keeps going. No, no, no. It, 48 times. Um, where on the remastered version I have, it's like uh, I think 16. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, they, it was intentional back then. But uh, And then that's one with 16, it just fades out. Um, but anyway, that's just a, a little tidbit about that.
0: Two bands have annoyed me with those infernal outros Def Leppard with this one, mm-hmm. and Vinnie Vincent Invasion.
2: I say it's uh, the invasion.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Two incredibly yeah. annoying things, Lonnie. What would be your least favorites? And again, we we do like to clarify. It's not we don't like the songs. We're having to pick ones that we like less than the others. Yeah, correct.
2: Ju- Julian told us we had to pick three least favorites, so these are my three. <clears throat> if I have to pick, you know, out of ten, eight, nine, and ten, it's these songs. So I'm going to echo what Mark said. Actually, exactly what Mark said with bringing on the heartbreak mirror mirror and no 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 so if we were do, if we were ranking our songs obviously mirror mirror no 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 would be way down there because none of us are giving them rave reviews so um bringing on the heartbreak to me is just it's just another pal power ballad and you know there there's just there's so many of them to me it's just almost like white noise with another another power ballad release and, and every band was doing it at the time you know and on through the 80s every band was doing it and Def Leopard really got into Power Bounds as time went on, but that's another episode. So b- between between that one, it just doesn't move the needle for me. Um, and then Mirror Mirror, no, no, no. They're to me they're just two of the they're just two of the weaker songs on the album. Not that they're bad songs. Again, like you guys are saying, they just you know when I have to put them up against Let It Go, another hit and run. High and Try Saturday Night, you got me running. You know mm. somebody's got to come in. You know, somebody's got to come in at the end, and unfortunately, it's these two songs. If I put them up against other songs, they, they'll probably rank a whole lot more favorably. But with given the competition, that's that's just how it falls.
0: All right, Lonnie, what would you rather listen to? Bringing on the heartbreak or Love Bites?
2: Mmm, that's good.
0: I'd go bringing on the heartbreak over
2: Love Bites. What about you? Yeah,
3: guys? yeah
0: I would. <laughs>
1: oh what was that
0: that was ken's vacuum cleaner um oh. <laughs> all right so what, what are my least favorite i've already kind of alluded to one and no 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 strictly because it just does seem to be gratuitous screaming it doesn't really have anything else and what i've noticed on all my picks were all steve clark you know Predominantly in terms of guitars or in terms of songwriting. So I'm actually quite chuffed with that. Um, do I have another one? I'm going to say, bringing on the heartbreak, but I'm going to clarify that by saying it's the remix uh-huh. version. That's It's the, cheap. It's the abomination. <laughs> um, because that was the one I predominantly heard. You didn't hear... The remit, mm-hmm. uh, the original version so oh. much, or the original uh, B-side, which is Me and My Wine, which they then came out with an extra video for just because they could, um, you know, after Pyromania hit. So it, it does, when I became a fan, very much colors my opinion. Like, I bought the cassette and it had the 12 songs so to me high and dry has always been the version that had me and my wine and the remix of bringing on the heartbreak and it's just impossible to separate it with the album that had been available for a couple of years prior to that because i wasn't a fan at that point so no 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 bring on the heartbreak the remix and that's it i can't come up with a third I won't put any of those songs as a least favorite because my guitar tells me that I play them too often for them to ever be put in such a basket. Uh, Let's talk about some of the singles. You know, first single released off the album was Let It Go. I don't have the British ones anymore. They're in an attic in Scotland, unfortunately. And it was uh, backed with Switch 625. The promo version came as a long and a short version of let it go just boggles the mind how much they'll chop out to make it three minutes friendly. Mm -hmm. What are your, your kind of thoughts on that? I think we're probably going to come back to the same thing we said about the, it being a great first track off the album. Um, But Mark, as, as a musician, what's your critical, you know, analysis of let let it go being released as the first single from the album? Uh,
1: I think it's a great selection. Your first single should be the song that represents the album in terms of what you're going to expect to hear as far as the rest of the record goes, I think. And if people heard that and said, okay, well, the rest of the record is going to be hard rock and guitar-driven sort of, uh, you know, AC/DC influenced rock, they wouldn't be wrong listening to it because uh, the rest of the record is pretty much, you know, an offshoot of that single and i think it's a great single it's a you know perfect length i think uh, for a single it might be a little long but you know still i think it's a perfect uh sort of first single uh and i and i think that it represented the album well you know that that's that's one of the things i think people sometimes make the mistake of because sometimes they take a song that's really different and you know and and if it does well for them then the rest of the album is kind of shot because now everyone is expecting the rest of the record to be kind of similar in sound to that and then if it's not then you're really buying an album for one song this way when you have an album like uh, a single like this you buy the whole record and you're not disappointed because the whole record is just just as good as that first single you know i i think that the whole record is fantastic so i think that as a first single They could have did this one, they could have did, you know, High and Dry even as a single too, but I think as a first single, this is is perfect, I think.
0: Okay, before I go to Ken and Lonnie on that, I do want to kind of go into the second single with you. Do you think it would have been braver for them to have released Bringing Out the Heartbreak as the first single?
1: Mm, It would have been braver, but I think it would have been a mistake, because I think that people would have immediately kind of suspected, "Uh, okay... I know what record this is going to be like, it's going to be very, you know, you know, geared towards the softer end of things a little bit more, you know, there might be a bit more ballads because usually when you start off, uh, your first single should be, you know, the hard hitting stamp of the record. If you come up with a kind of a ballady release, you know, the, the, you could be mistaken to think this is going to be something down the road of like, you know, you know, like a like a like a very, very commercial heart record or something, you know, something that you're not expecting. But you, you'll make no mistake when you hear, you know, Let It Go to know what you're going to expect. When you put out a single like, you know, Bringing On a Heartbreak, while there's some great guitar playing and stuff like that in there, it doesn't give it the same oomph as the first, the other song does. That's for, that's for sure.
0: You said, Heart, we should do a show on Babylon Strange and Passion Works. Lonnie, what's your thought on <laughs> Let It Go as a lead off single? And would you have chosen something else? No, I would have chosen
2: Let It Go as the lead single because like mark said you know your lead single usually does represent what you're trying to convey in this album and let it go is a perfect representation of of this album you know it it's hard hitting it's guitar driven it's you know it's it's the signature song off the record so I, i i think going with anything else would have been a mistake um that that Plain and simple. I mean, it, it is—it's—it's it's the snapshot of the record, and that's—and exactly what a lead single should be. And you know, Death Leopard follows the, and and I think Owen, if you would have went with bringing on the heartbreak as a as a lead single, you know, Death Leopard follows the the formula. You have to go hard hard rock song, power ballad, and then back with another hard rock song. That was the formula for a very long time for for almost all eighties bands. You don't you don't start with the ballad. You start with with one of the first couple tracks on the album, that, that's hard hitting, and you know, while "Bring It On" the heartbreak is the, has the most commercial success out of any song on this record, it was still the right choice to make it the second single off the album because it's not a good representation of what the album is. As you know, and, and we'll say what you want about the song, "Bring It On" the heartbreaks a fine song, but it it I don't agree. It shouldn't even though, and even though it has the most commercial success, it should. Let it go it was definitely the right choice. No.
1: You know what though? Just let me let me just say one thing really quickly. Um, I, w- I was told when I was doing my co-op at uh, the recording studio, they always told me that the reason why you do the hard rock in first and the ballad second, apparently there's some big logic to this. You kind of scoop, you got to scoop the guys first with the hard rocking song. And then you always come back with the ballad because now you want to bring in the women now to start buying the album, right? That that I was always told that that's the way you should you should approach it because you want to have both you know both groups of buyers in on the record. And what's the best way to do that? Give them give a song for the guys and give a song geared to more geared more toward the girls, right? I don't know many guys who said, oh, I, I simply have to buy you know high and dry for you know bringing on the heartbreak. I know a lot of girls, including my sisters, said that they really liked that song and they bought it because of that, right? So I think that that theory could hold some water.
2: Well, I think that holds water too in the fact that if you release the ballad first, guys are more likely to blow it off the album or blow off the band and ah, that's garbage. I'm not buying that. And then they released, and then you release a hard-hitting song of your second single. Yeah, yeah, whatever. That's probably like the only hard song on the album. So you know, so to your point, yeah, I, I totally see that being the case. You don't want to lose the guy audience off right off the jump. Yeah. Sexist. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh,
3: I have to agree with that to a degree. Uh, uh, yeah, I think the, it has to do with also the 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 buying public. And I think mostly males were buying most of the records more more records than women were. Um, at least in the, the rock and roll genre, or even the hard rock. Um, I think that's part of the reason, but yeah, I do agree with, um, you know, the hard rock song and then the, you know, the mellower later, that's fine. Um, though on this song, you would never hear it on AM radio. I mean, this is a, this is a single for FM kind of release. Yeah. Uh, this, this would never play and we uh, now being on the heartbreak would maybe could have potentially become a you know an am you know single or hit or whatever um if it was first but yeah I, i i can't see them releasing that first even though it's it is a good song um uh you know other bands have done you know i talked about foreigner before you know they did Urgent first and then like waiting for a girl like you, you know a yeah. Second kind of thing and then came back with a, a you know, their, uh, Harder, you know a rocking song. Um, so yeah, it's it's the kind of the formula
0: we, We've kind of talked about bringing on the heartbreak already. So um, me and my wine Originally a B-side on that single later added to the album. Should it always have been on the album, in in your view? They had performed that at Reading, in the 80s. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, um, mm-hmm. should it be there? Or is it one of those ones that should have waited for the box set? Ken, I'll start back with you on that.
3: Yeah, I, I think it should. To me, it doesn't fit in with the other songs on I Enjoy. It. Maybe that's the way I used it. But when I listen to it, it, it seems something about it seems to me unfinished. Um and I think that's why it was a a b side um, uh, and uh yeah, I know we talked about um bringing on the heartbreak, but yeah, that, and I'm gonna do a different kind of wine, um which is that the synthesizer stuff was just an abomination or whatever Putting that in that the, the sound of that made me think of the the keyboard or synthesizer in. Elton John's funeral for a friend, just the sound. I was like, "Why are they putting that in here?" It just it ruined the song. After, and this is after I was listening to the you know the music for a couple of years before they decided to remix it or whatever. Um, but yeah, uh, Julie and I said, "Me and my wine is just it doesn't fit in. It just doesn't fit in with the the other stuff." And I think it's unfinished. Lonnie. Yeah, I mean,
0: I can see
2: why me and my wine doesn't fit in as well um it it should should have been saved for a box set yeah i think so i mean i, I think there's other side i think there's others you know great songs on the album that you know, you could have put you got me running as as a b-side um i don't think me and my my wine I mean, it, it's fine but it, it's more of a, a box set for a collector's type I, I think there's other great songs on the record itself that deserve um a b-side release as opposed to that okay mark
1: well um i think that it should have been put on the record um i think that it it was a good idea that they put it on later on the reissues because if you're going to commit money to a video i mean even though it was a Mm. really cheesy kind of video done in a you know living room of a house and if you watch it really closely there's a great part in there where Steve where Steve Clark kind of stiff, slips off the edge of a table and hits himself against the wall. If you, if you It's really quick. You'll, you could almost miss it if you don't pay attention. But he, he does a nice header into the wall in the video. But um, yeah, I mean, if you're going to commit money to a video, you know, put the song on the album. I mean, you know, you're promoting a song that's not on a record. I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me. You know what I mean? so you know if it, if you have a video it should be on the record you know that doesn't make any sense to me for it not to be on the album but you know this was the point where Mutt had started discovering you know the Fairlight and all these kind of sampling equipment you know and while he established a pretty cool sounding kick drum and snares sound those toms that he came up with were just atrocious on those remixes and even on Pyromania that those tom sounds are just boof I don't know what he was thinking, but the kick drum was pretty hefty and the snare drum was okay. But, you know, I know what he was trying to do. He was trying to make, you know, stuff that would just come through the stereo speakers when it's played on the radio and people going, wow, what the hell is that? You know, and I think the problem was <clears throat> people were saying, wow, what the hell is that? But not in the right way, you know, because especially when you started adding in all those kind of, you know, keyboards. Those little sequencer parts, like in Bringing On The Heartbreak, I, I just think that Def Leppard fans weren't ready for that. You know, by the time Hysteria came around, I think they were, they were, they were ready. They knew the writing was on the wall at that point and knew what was going to come at that point.
0: Yeah, so I totally get it in the way that Bringing On The Heartbreak had set up the band for the success that was realized with uh, Pyromania because it, the album was on the charts and it had primed them. Um, they needed a release and it come and high and dry comes out. um, I'm sorry. uh, Pyromania comes out and zoom off they go. Then they realize, well, we've had all these, you know, sales, but we've never really had a massive single. Let's do, do the pyromania treatment to bring on the heartbreak and, you know, and, and release that. So, Oh, and let's throw, you know, me and my wine on there again, because that, that was on there in the first place, you know, and a lot of people didn't buy it. So I, I kind of get it from that perspective. I understand why they would, you know, want to fill the gap in 84 as well. You know by giving it that treatment and trying to give it a second chance, a second life after the booster it had provided for the fame, and yet the album, you know, never really went to the similar level that Pyromania did. I mean, it, it'll always be left down, you know, at the beginning of their their catalog, and I think it's a double platinum or, or something, you know, so mm-hmm. uh, certainly nowhere near so. I I, I don't know how much I want to bash on this stuff because it does make sense. I do want to ask you before we wrap up, you know, about a third single. A third single from this album was only released in Australia. And that was High and Dry, Saturday Night, backed with On Through the Night. Uh, And it is actually one of the most expensive singles to actually find a copy of other than the EP. What do you think about that as a third single? And do you think there should have been a third single? And if you don't think that was a good one, what would have been your picks for the third one? I really just executed a very confusing paragraph. Lonnie. Um, I'm
2: going to have a boring answer. I think it's the absolute right pick for a third single. Because um, you go back to a harder track with that album, um, with with the third single. Um, it's one of my favorite songs off the record. And it, it's definitely what I would have picked for the, for the third single. And, and I think it should have been released in the U.S. And, or, or the U.K. for that matter and, and possibly brought the band some more early success. So I, And I, I think it, you know, it has potential that it could have done well on radio. So I think, I think it's the absolute right pick and I, I wish it would have had um, more of an international release.
0: Australians are pretty smart, aren't they? Good picks, yeah. Aussies. Mark, your thoughts on that?
1: Okay, well, I think that it's uh, not a bad selection. Um, I personally would have probably put You Got Me Running as the third single. I think it has a good combination of hard rock in this, but it has a bit more melodic sense to it, almost like if you're trying to uh, corral both sides of the buying market, something that the guys will like. And a little bit more something with a little bit more melody that the girls might think is kind of cool as well. I mean, I'm kind of the, approaching it from the from the viewpoint of like you know an A and R kind of guy.
3: Meanwhile, the news.
0: Meanwhile, breaking news. The Bengals still. Thought he's <laughs> like, turn it off,
1: turn it off. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I I think that. the uh, it was it was a good single but you know i i would have wondered what you got me running and the thing that's funny though is i don't think at this point it would have mattered what the hell they released as a single because an interesting point that i remember reading about duff leopard history and correct me if i'm wrong julian is that even when they released pyromania you know they had released pyromania and sold 6 million copies and from what i remember reading it said 6 million copies pretty much all in the united states they were playing huge arenas in america and when they went back to England, they were playing still small halls. They couldn't sell out anything in England because they were, they were were nobody was buying it from them. So I don't know if it's because the British public kind of looked at Def Leppard and were hoping that they would be the next queen and ended up being more ACDC-ish. And they were like, no, nah, I'm not liking this. And they didn't click into like hysteria with them. But I mean, well, I was always being kind of curious about that. Why do you think they didn't click in with the British audience you know, their hometown whole town people until much later.
0: I don't know. You have to remember, it's a very British thing to, um, love people to be successful and then to knock them down a level because they rise above their station too fast and too quickly. So these were very young lads who, you know, came from the industrial North, you know, they've still got the accents from up North, um, and i don't know i don't know why because again they were playing the same sort of gritty rock that iron maiden was doing in the era that judas priest was doing in the era that a plethora of bands were doing so i I just don't understand why britain never got on the bandwagon and even early on during the hysteria era it wasn't a sure thing for britain either you know that the first singles came out there and it, they weren't touring massive places again, so yeah, uh, I I I really don't know. Let's wrap up with just you know final thoughts on. We've covered you know the first album that they worked with. Yeah, hey, I didn't with.
3: get in on that.
0: Did I ignore you, I Ken? I'm, you Ken, ignored me. Please, please you. forgive me. Please <laughs> forgive me, Ken. Would you please grace us with your thoughts on the third? Will
3: re- well, real quickly. <laughs> um, the. Uh, the, the third single yeah i i would have agreed with uh high and dry uh, it's a you know it was a great kind of party song and you know back the, back in the day there's a lot of parties and stuff going on more so with, with booze and whatnot at that time period uh so it, it i think it could have done well had it been um uh, released and now quickly uh, on the other thing about why they didn't, you know, they weren't so popular in, in the beginning. Uh, in England versus um, here, they it happens kind of reverse sometimes where England like for instance they they like Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, their first album was you know did really well there in England where and it, it did not here in the United States, so it picked up kind of like an opposite thing it happens sometimes i don't know why but like julia said i'm not sure Uh, but it it seems to happen okay now continue
0: okay Uh, now to to wrap up and to bring to conclusion our investigation die and dry if an enhanced edition solely focused on this album was done what format and bits and pieces would you like to be included in it and ken i'll start with you because i was so rude to you a moment ago
3: uh, yeah. uh, well, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind an enhanced version, um, with extra tracks. Uh, if they have some demo version of songs, you can see how, uh, maybe how Mutt Lang, you know, uh, reworked songs for them or helped uh, produce them in a certain way to make them uh, sound the way you know the way they are. Uh, some video you know uh, if there is some live concert footage uh, I, I don't think they have the live con- concert footage i saw them on that tour i mean they opened for blackfoot on that tour and i saw them that, and that was such a great sh- a great show i could you know i was like wow this uh, this you know great um, but uh, that would have been a cool um videos or even live audio um and anything else, I, I don't know what else they could dig up, but uh, if there are demos, like I said, it'd be cool to, or outtakes of other other songs that just didn't make the list of of songs that made it to the album.
0: Yeah, so, you know, I totally agree. You know, and also work in progress. I think there's an alternate mix uh, version of Switch Sixty Five. Right. Would love the right. demos that they would have recorded earlier in the year. Would love a full soundboard from, you know the the tour they i mean they toured with rainbow they toured with blackfoot they toured with who else Ozzy, i think Ozzy. Ozzy yeah. i know joe perry project did one show with them um yeah. you know so I, I i would really like the full monty i would even accept the remix and you know that being honest sure. um i i would think there's a fair amount of stuff video wise i'm not so sure you know I think they played in Largo, but would they have, you know, recorded a uh, opening act and would the opening act have that stuff? So that'd be interesting. Mark, what about you?
1: Well, um, I think Ken pretty much covered a lot of it. Um, You know, if there's any demos, those are always interesting to have, whether it's, you know, on CD or if it's on, you know, vinyl, like a couple of seven inch releases, you know, on there. Uh, If you're going to make like a box set release, obviously put it back out on vinyl, of course. Um, But the audio is something I always find very interesting. Um, When I was younger, a couple of my friends and I used to frequent going downtown to Toronto, uh, going to various head shops uh, and look for, you know, bootleg illegal copies of things. And uh, there was usually a lot of Def Leppard live stuff. Some of them were audience recordings. Some of them were soundboard stuff. Very rarely soundboard, but there was a lot of audience recording things. And uh, I remember my friend caught, got a copy of something called Deaf Leopard Live on Stage, and had a picture of Joe Elliott with his, you know, uh, the, the British flag T-shirt on, mm-hmm. and him playing a Les Paul, and on the cover of this release, and it had them doing mainly high and dry stuff, and debuting a couple of The leppard songs i think photograph was one of them that they were playing at that club thing and i remember when we were listening to it just looking at each other say wow these guys are absolutely terrible singers live they were horrendous like their harmonies you know it was like barney Gumble and two other drunk guys singing it was like really bad like i couldn't believe what i was hearing it made me really start you know suspecting things when I started seeing them you know, on video and stuff like that live and they were doing these perfect harmonies live. I was like, wait a minute, I'm getting the feeling there's something fishy going on here. So, um, you know, I think that's why bands like Def Leppard might be a little reluctant to put out really raw recordings of them stuff from themselves in the early days because there probably isn't too many good things. I mean, maybe if you're lucky with like a King Biscuit flower hour recording where there's an actual good... You know recording done with you know to a remote you know live truck that could do some proper recording of them you know maybe that would be decent right but i think that it's just a matter of do they have anything in the vaults that they're not going to cringe when they listen to when they put it out but later on i think they, they could get away with a lot more stuff than they could with this album i think you'd be pretty limited i think but you know correct me if i'm wrong
0: no i think we're pretty limited that 1980 live show that was recorded and released uh, only recently, you know, was pretty much the gem that I know about in the catalog. I think they probably do have something from 81, but, you know, again, is the quality there. Lonnie?
1: Yeah,
0: I
2: I, I wonder what is available that they could put out to do, you know, a proper enhanced edition. You know, Def Leopard has really put out some some really, really nice um, deluxe editions in recent years, but I, I wonder what's available for them to do you know or what they have what they have available at their disposal to do something like this you know i would like to hear some demos of how some of these tracks came together obviously like ken said i'd like to hear you know what kind of live um you know what kind of live, song, what kind of live shows are available if any um it, it, it seems that it's pretty dry from from what is out there so um i'd like to see it i don't know if it'll ever happen but I'd, I'd like to see what, what if anything they could put together. You know, there, is there any video they could put together? Is there anything we don't know about that they could throw out there really, to really surprise us? And at this point, I really don't know if it's there because I think they would have already have given us something, like a, a, at least a taste of it, at this point, because they have been. Def Leppard is is a whole lot better than other bands of, of of putting things out there for the fans and giving them, you know, these these outtakes and these demos and these these rarities that they want. So. I don't know, you know, what's available, but I, you know, maybe, maybe they, maybe they can surprise us.
0: Nice. Well, I guess that's a nice way to end. And, uh, you know, if you like this show, subscribe, share, comment. We'd love to hear from everyone. But for now, from Mark from Ken, Lonnie myself, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Thank you for watching or listening to this episode. Be sure to subscribe to us, like us, or even leave us a review. You can find us and join the conversation on Facebook.